Hey there, and welcome to today's episode of Beyond the Mixtape, Musings of a Gen Xer. My name is Dagan Smith. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Please share this podcast with any friends, family, or anyone that you know that might enjoy this content. Ready? Let's go. Hey, what's up, Beyond the Mixtape family? Welcome in to episode number two. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you guys tuning in and checking out this podcast. So, you heard it on the promo probably, but today we're going to talk a little bit about college football. Like I said in the promo, you knew it was coming. Uh, I'm a sports guy. I'm a, a, a kind of a junkie. I guess you could say a junkie. I, I know that comes with a, a negative connotation to it, but that's that's kind of what, what I am when it comes to sports. Um, love college sports. Um, obviously, the, the whole NIL deal with college players being able to get money nowadays, uh, that's a whole other story. That's a, a whole other show for a different day. Um, today, we're going to talk about the college football season um, that is rapidly coming to a close. We've got the national championship game just around the corner where you will see um, Michigan face off against Washington. But let's talk about the College Football Bowl Committee. Okay, so the selection committee, and you'll you'll hear Bowl Selection Committee, all, all sorts of different names thrown around, but the selection committee is charged with making the weekly top 25 rankings starting in the middle of each college football season. The top four ranked teams are automatically eligible for the college football playoff semifinals. And this this group of people is it differs from the way that it used to be done uh, back in... 1998 to 2013, when there was uh, use of polls or computer rankings and complex algorithms that probably nobody really understood uh, were were the way that those those things were done back then. But now there's a again a 13 member group of people. Uh, it's comprised of eight current athletic directors, including one who's a retired um, head football coach. Uh, two other retired uh, college head football coaches, two former college players, and one member of the media who is uh, retired uh, and is also a college professor. So that's who makes up this committee that um, really, if you want to be honest about it, wields a, a lot of power, a lot of a, a lot of um, a lot of pull when it comes to who is going to be ranked where, and consequently, which bowl these these teams will go to. So let's talk about, did, did they do their job this time around? I would love to hear your feedback on our Instagram page. Just go to uh, our Instagram page, which is Beyond the Mixtape, Musings of a Gen Xer. You'll see my ugly mug as part of the profile there, along with a mixtape, of course. So I would love to hear your feedback there um, on, on what you think about did they do their job this time around this football season. My contention is they did not. They did us a huge disservice with some of the the things that happened. 
Now, let's start with the 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 probably the one that is most contentious, uh, especially in my part of the country. Let's talk about the SEC. Georgia and Alabama played in the SEC championship game. You, if you follow much college football or, or particularly the SEC, if you follow much of that at all, you know that that game was, I mean, we can put it a, a ton of different ways. Georgia had an off night. Alabama had a great night. That that's the that's the only way you can can really boil it down and put it. Alabama ends up winning by three points. They won twenty seven twenty four in that SEC championship game. Keep in mind, throughout the season, there were there were a couple of different ones where where it didn't happen. A couple of games where it, it was not. But by and large, the Georgia Bulldogs absolutely demolished the teams that they played. There again, there were a couple of exceptions. There was, uh, there was the the <laughs> unfathomably close game that they had with Auburn. That's still a head scratcher. Um, they they had a game where they beat uh, Vanderbilt by seventeen. Okay, so yeah, not every game was a blowout, but overall, I mean, they they beat Ole Miss fifty two seventeen. They they beat Tennessee thirty eight to ten. Um, there, there were, there were lots of, of big numbers on, on the scoreboard when Georgia took the field. Um, and then we, we have to look at Alabama. Alabama, of course, is, is a, a blue blood when it comes to college football. They are, they're one of the most decorated teams, one of the winningest teams of all time in college football, but they are not the team that they were even a couple years ago. This team had, they showed all the red flags of, oh no, this is not, uh, this is not the, the Alabama that we're used to. Um, so what do I mean by red flags? Well, I mean, they had their, their game against Texas, of course, that they lost 34-24. They had a struggle putting points on the board against the South Florida team that they only beat 17-3. to they had their game against Texas A&M where they, they won uh, 26-20. So there, there were some signs all along the way. Um, Arkansas, not not a good football team, beat Arkansas by three points. So there were signs all along the way that where we could see that this just was not a powerhouse Alabama Crimson Tide football team. And then there's the third team in the triumvirate that created this travesty for us. There's Florida State, the Florida State Seminoles. They were, while not beating teams uh, as soundly as Georgia was, they were they were winning and usually winning convincingly um, against a, a terrible. That's the only word we can find to describe it. A terrible ACC as far as their, their conference opponents. Then, late November uh, against North Alabama, Jordan Travis, their all-star quarterback, gets hurt. Carted off the field, he's done for the year. And then, of course, at that point of the year, Florida State only has two games left. They, they play Florida and Louisville, um, both of which they win 
um, not in the prettiest of fashions. They uh, beat Florida 24 to 15, beat um, Louisville uh, 16 to 6. And so the argument was there for all the Seminole fans to say, well, we went undefeated. We did what we're supposed to do. We beat all the teams. We're undefeated. We should be in the national championship picture. They're a different team without Jordan Travis. I know that that's shocking to some of you, but they were a totally different team. You take out a a quarterback of his caliber, and they're just a completely different team. So that sets us up for the the biggest example of why I say we were done a disservice in, in this bowl season. We have Georgia, who lost the SEC championship game to Alabama. Alabama, whether you like it or not, Tide fans, Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt. They're like Notre Dame always was uh, in years past. They get the benefit of the doubt. Oh, they're... You know, they're, they're, they're showing up at the right time. They're peaking at the right time. Saban's got them all fired up. Garbage. Complete and utter garbage. They get into the college football playoff. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's not the whole Alabama bias. Maybe it's not, oh, well, they won the SEC championship game, so they need to be in the, the college football playoffs. They need to be in the, the national championship picture. Whatever it was. Alabama leapfrogs Georgia and gets in. So Alabama's set to face off against Michigan, who I'll address here in a moment. And of course, that leaves Georgia fans up in arms, leaves Florida State fans up in arms. They're all frustrated over not getting in and Alabama getting in in their place, for lack of a better word. So Florida State and Georgia are matched up. This is a joke. So you take a team like Georgia, who was crushing people all year long, had one off day, and granted, they had it at the absolute worst time when they faced Alabama in the SEC championship game, but then you let Alabama leapfrog them and get into the game with Michigan. Florida State, a team trending downward, no matter Anyone could have looked at at that Florida State team and told you they're in a bad way. They're in a bad way. They're not going to play well. They're not going to do well. They need to be not in a not a low tier game, but they need to be dropped down from that upper echelon of competition because they're just not there. You ask me, do I feel for the Knowles in the situation that they're in? Absolutely. I'm a I'm a diehard Tennessee Volunteers fan. We had the the season last year where we lost Hendon Hooker at the South Carolina game, and it it completely changes the dynamic of a football team. I I don't care what level it is, those offenses, and even if it's a a run-heavy offense or one that has a a star-wide receiver or whatever it looks like, when you take the quarterback out of a a team's offense, you are completely changing the dynamic of that team. Whether it goes, uh, we've seen it trend up, we've seen it trend down. Unfortunately for the Florida State Seminoles, they 100% were trending in the wrong direction. So I say all that to say that it looks like the committee did not 
weigh any of that in their decisions at all. So they match up a team that you know is going to be ticked off because they just lost a game that they should have won and probably won pretty handily. Uh, again, just going back to the fact that that Alabama team is, is not the Alabama teams that we have seen in recent history. Georgia, again, ticked off, motivated because they lost the SEC championship game that they should have won. Florida State lost a quarterback late November, trending in the wrong direction as far as the cohesiveness of their offense and the way things look on the field, and you match these two up, makes absolutely zero sense. No sense at all to me. If you're looking to put together an entertaining product, an entertaining game for people to watch, you put them out there and you see, you say, oh, Dagan, you're looking backwards. You're just seeing the result and, and going off that. No, it, you could see this coming a mile away. 63 to 3. That's the final score. How do we match up teams that are this polar opposite of each other as far as the way that they're going and the way that they're looking at the end of the season? It, it's beyond me. I don't get it. Now, I told you I'd talk about Michigan in a second, so here it comes. Only giving it just a little bit of time because Michigan fans are, they, how do I put this and put it mildly? There is no way to put it lightly. They are entitled. They feel like, oh, we always get disrespected. You play in the Big Ten, get used to getting disrespected. But Dagan, Ohio State, look at look at Michigan, look at Ohio State. That, okay, you have two teams that could fit in the middle of the pack in the SEC most years. That's I, I, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm sticking to. Ohio State and Michigan, if you drop them in the SEC tomorrow, guess what? They are middle of the pack teams. They are also Rams. But they beat the SEC champ. No, they beat a team that, uh, sorry, Alabama fans, those of you that are, reasonable and logical about looking at your football team would have to agree. Those guys lucked into it, backed into it, however you want to say it. They were very, very fortunate to get a place in the SEC championship game and doubled down on that good fortune by catching Georgia on an off day. I don't know, was Georgia looking ahead, what, what the issue was, but they caught Georgia sleeping and they got the win. So this gets them in the game against Michigan. Michigan riding high. They're beyond, I'm doing air quotes that I know you can't see, they're beyond the cheating scandal, um, stealing signs, all that stuff. Um, Coach Harbaugh is back on the sidelines after their self-imposed suspension. That's a that's another rabbit hole that I don't want to go down today as college teams uh, imposing these suspensions that are a fraction of what the NCAA could and should do. Anyway, we have this game, Michigan versus Alabama. It's a Michigan team that is coming off of a couple of a couple of strong seasons, and they are feeling themselves. They are they are they are in it um, up to their eyeballs as far as their belief in Michigan. Then they tackle a team from the SEC that is, let's just be honest, guys, they are a low first-tier, 
high second tier SEC team this year. That's that's what it is. You can you can cut it any different way you want to, but Alabama just is not the Alabama that we have seen in past seasons. So Michigan can pull off something that any other season they would not be able to. They beat Alabama, and of course now the Michigan fans are oh look at the look at the Big Ten look at the Big Ten. It let's let's just take it for what it is, folks. It was the top Big Ten team that they could muster against an SEC team that did not did not deserve to be in that spot that they were in. Pulling back to our other game that we were discussing there with Georgia against Florida State, if you had put Georgia in place of Alabama versus Michigan, Georgia steamrolls them by two to three touchdowns. Yep, I said what I said. Georgia steamrolls Michigan two to three touchdowns minimum. You can argue it six ways from Sunday, but if you take off your Crimson Tide colored glasses or your big blue colored glasses and look at it objectively, look at the way both teams had been playing, how they were playing, um, meaning the the schemes they were using, the the players on each side of the ball, you cannot tell me otherwise that Georgia would not have absolutely blistered Michigan in that game. And you may be saying, how, how do I make these? Uh, do you need another example of the Big Ten not being all they're cracked up to be? I, I told you in, uh, just a few minutes ago, I'm, I'm a huge Tennessee Volunteers fan. So take Tennessee's game versus Iowa. Iowa comes into that game ranked, I think, 17. Anyway, there's several spots ahead of Tennessee in, in the rankings. And why are they ranked where they are? Why do they have the record they do? Because they play in the Big Ten. Listen to some of these teams that they played against this year. Utah State, Iowa State, Western Michigan, Penn State. That was a loss for Iowa, by the way. Michigan State, Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers. I'm saying all that just to say it's, it's not a... It's not an even comparison when you're comparing records of a Big Ten team and an SEC team. And just for for further reference here, Michigan and Iowa locked horns in their conference championship game, 26 to nothing, Michigan. Now, don't worry, I'm not one of those that's going to say, oh, well, Michigan beat Iowa 26 to nothing, Tennessee beat Iowa 35 to nothing, so therefore, Tennessee would beat Michigan. Uh, that uh, I'm not going down down that that road. But let's just say that Iowa had no business on the field with a, a upper second tier SEC team like Tennessee. So I've said all these things just to kind of give you a glimpse into why I think the committee did us all a huge disservice with the games that they put on the field this season for our bowl games. Now, coming up Monday night, you'll see Michigan versus Washington, and we'll see how that all plays out to conclude this college football season. But at any rate, I'm hoping that next season, as they expand the playoffs and um, try to try to get more teams the, the opportunity to 
prove that they deserve to be in those national championship conversations. I'm hoping that we we get it right, um, at least with the playoffs expanded, we will have uh, we'll have a greater margin for error, and hopefully not see the sixty three to three and thirty five to nothing uh, and teams backing into uh, games that they shouldn't be in uh, situations that we saw this season. All right, now we're going to move on from the topic of college football to our second topic of the day, which will probably not take very long if I'm being honest. There's a comedian that had a uh, new Netflix special debut recently, and he is drawing some fire from various sources, um, kind of all over the spectrum, but he is drawing some fire for some of the material in that special. I am talking about, of course, the one and only Dave Chappelle. Chappelle had a special titled The Dreamer that premiered on Netflix last Saturday, I believe it was. And since then, he has undergone a deluge of criticism from various sources. And of course, to keep this a family-friendly show, we will not be relaying any of the jokes that Chappelle is drawing fire for. But let's just say that there were um, primarily targeting the um, LGBTQ community with uh, trans individuals in particular being targets of several of the jokes. Now, if you're my age or within a decade even or so of my age, you saw Dave Chappelle from the beginning with The Chappelle Show. Um, he was in lots of movies, The Nutty Professor, Con Air, um, Undercover Brother, Blue Streak, Half-Baked uh, are some of the ones that come to mind right off. But let's just take a look at this, guys. Why are we surprised when a comedian does the exact same thing that they've done before to get laughs. Again, think about that question for just a second. Why are we surprised when a comedian or any entertainer, for, for that matter, does the same thing that they've done before to get laughs or to get a reaction from us? Dave Chappelle has always pushed the envelope. Dave Chappelle has always been right on the fringe of not even acceptable humor, but uh, just totally, let, let's just say repulsive humor. Just the, like, if you, again, if you're my age, look back to guys like Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, Andrew Dice Clay to even pull a, a more obscure name from, from the vault. But these guys make their living. They created their fame by pushing the envelope by being on the edge or over the edge in a lot of cases in making fun of groups that they were a part of. Eddie Murphy made fun of black people. Eddie Murphy made fun of poor people. Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, made fun of Jewish people. But they also turn that sharp wit the other direction. Eddie Murphy made fun of white people. Eddie Murphy made fun of Asians. Richard Pryor was, uh, by his own admission, a heavy drug user. He made fun of drug addicts. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying this to illustrate the point. 
that we're okay with, like we're okay with Eddie Murphy making fun of black people. We're okay with Jerry Seinfeld making fun of Jewish people. We're okay with Richard Pryor making fun of drug addicts. We're okay with all those things as long as it's a group that we're not a part of. But where we, and I keep saying we, uh, uh, not we as in you and if you're listening to this podcast, probably not you and definitely not speaking for myself, but when people get offended when that wit and those observations are turned on a group that they are a part of. And in many cases, a group that it's cool or the new trend to be defensive of. But I promised myself I was not going to get on a a rant and, and talk about this for 10 or 15 minutes or anything. But Let's just, each time that we hear a comedian or we see a comedian taking heat for jokes that they've told, whether we like that comedian or we are particular fans of the joke or not, let's just remind ourselves that's how they got where they are. That's how they got an audience to begin with. And why should we expect them, we being the collective uh, audience or society, potential audience, however you want to word that, The way they got where they are is by being edgy, being offensive even, and that's how they got on Netflix, but when you get on Netflix, don't say that anymore. That's just unreasonable of us to say that or think that or expect that from people in the entertainment industry. Again, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this today, but I just wanted to say those couple of things about the the perspective that we need to have on people, uh, comedians or entertainment industry professionals in general. When we give them success, when we give them attention, when they make money off of being a certain way or playing a certain character even, whatever that looks like, don't expect them to change. All right, guys, there is episode two in the books. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for being part of the Beyond the Mixtape musings of a Gen Xer family. And hey, while you're at it, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, share it with family. Check out Instagram. Come and find us, Beyond the Mixtape musings of a Gen Xer. And as I leave you today, I'll leave you with the words of the immortal Casey Kasem. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. And we'll see you next time.